this week, three sides of the coin. It's a look back and memories of Big John Hart, who passed away on February 11th. And you've got to stick to the very end. One of our guests who joins us to share memories, Robert Conti, shares John's final words to the KISS fans and the KISS army. Just, he, he expressed these words a month ago to Robert. And it's, it's really touching. I mean, you just gotta, I would say, you know, not to be stupid here, but this, this is an episode you might need some Kleenex for. I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> I honestly was going to say the same thing. Yeah. It, it wouldn't be a bad idea to have a, a tissue ready because by the end of this episode, I know I needed one. So uh, we remember Big John Hart this week. This is Three Sides of the Coin, talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. You got all four of us here. Um, We've got quite a quite a touching episode this week that you're going to want to stick with us we've got um robert conti steve altman and rick stewart joining us to share memories and stories of big john hart who if you haven't noted read online uh big john hart passed away last week uh, was it February 11th? He passed away. And, right. you know, as, as KISS fans, I think we all know who Big John Hart is. I mean, the legendary, you know, security guard, handout, People Magazine, PM Magazine TV show. I mean, he was the guy who was always there taking care of and protecting the band and making sure nobody took photos of him out of makeup while well, he passed away. Um, touching i mean we've all we've all met john we know john we've worked with john and steve and robert have been working with john for years on his book rick stewart first hired john and we go through and share a whole bunch of memories before we get to all of that there is a little bit of kiss news that we should discuss real quick mark you want to bring up the kiss cruise that yeah, just Kiss email? Cruise. <clears throat> yeah, I, I tell you what, people, I've been getting a lot of people, you know, asking me about um, the Kiss Cruise. And I just want to say publicly, guys, I, yeah, it looks like this is the last time they're going to play on the ship. So well, um, can, I, can I interject real quick, Mark? Maybe you can help clarify. Does that mean play, period, or just play on the ship? Lisa, that's why this is what I want to broadcast to people. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Because uh, I, I think you don't it's, know. You're in the inner circle. Yeah. Hello, Mark. <laughs> well, Dang. trust me. Let's just uh, call the ship's captain, think, Mark. I don't even think the inner circle knows what's going on um, regarding the the this cruise. Uh, look, I, I will tell you, and you know, I remember I was fortunate a couple of years ago to talk to Paul Stanley one-on-one and what he said to me is exactly the way I'm reading this he said you know we think we can do kiss cruises kiss themed cruises you know without the band eventually and I thought that was odd at the time and but what is going on now is what it said today is 
is like, this is going to be the last time they play on the boat. Well, there's a million questions. I'm like, well, does that mean they're going to, they're going to wait till we get to the private Island that they're going to play or, or are all the band members going to be on there? I I don't know, man. And, 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 but put it this way, obviously uh, I'm going to this one. Um, But I'm, I'm surprised um, that, that put it this way, kiss is usually really good about hyping stuff. I think they're, I don't want to say they're dropping the ball at all, but I, I do think this is a weird way to do it. Well, because you know, if you look on the little ad, it just says last time. La- la- fi- final performance on, on board. Sh- yeah, on that's board. A- on board. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's kind of ambiguous. It's well, very ambiguous. I, I got to tell you, you know, and everybody knows I, I spent a few years working with the band. I read that and I'm like, oh, that was worded so purposely. Almost to mm-hmm. your point, Mark, of being ambiguous. It It gives them a lot of wiggle room as opposed to this is the farewell tour and then continuing on this means okay this is the last performance on board the ship yes this kiss cruise will be the last time they perform on the ship does that mean they won't do a concert pre-cruise kiss concert and just not get on the ship that's entirely possible and that fits that description mark as you said maybe they meet you at an island and they do a show on the island well think look at it this way i mean the very first kiss cruise a lot of people don't know this the very first kiss cruise when we got to i think it was the bahamas they got off and left the last day or two the kiss was bailed out yeah yeah they bailed out they're like no but they they left they they got off the boat when we got the I don't know it was Bahamas, Jamaica, whatever it was, but they didn't stay on the boat the whole time. And that was one of the things people bitched about in the, you know, when they ask you at the end of the cruising, you know, good things, bad things. A lot of people were upset. They're like, Hey, you know, this is, but also too, it was the first one, but people were like, Hey, you know, this is supposed to be the kiss crew. Shouldn't kiss be on the cruise. That's why I'm thinking like, how are, how are they? I don't know. I, I just think it's very ambiguous. It's very kind of awkward and, um, I, I guess I'm publicly saying, guys, don't ask me. I don't know. We're going to see what evolves. But yeah. you're right, Michael. This opens up so many opportunities. It, it for gives that. them a lot of wiggle room to do. Th- Lisa, what is that? It's a rabbit. Sorry, there's it's a, a rabbit. There's a bunny on Lisa's lap if you're listening. Um, you, but you're hey, right, Rocky, Mark. This, this gives them a lot of wiggle room of the kiss cruise it doesn't mean the kiss cruise is over nowhere in that email did it say this is the final kiss cruise people. did you see what it said it's going to go on for many years yes so does this just mean the kiss cruise becomes a giant kiss kiss convention yeah with a whole bunch of other bands still on but, but there? you know what that's that's one of the things that i i don't want it's funny because they have and don't get me wrong i think it's very cool don't don't i i, I want to make sure i'm perfectly clear but you only have so much room in your suitcase. I'm serious. Oh, please, I mean, Mark. This, this is no. Mark, the kiss collector. I don't have enough room <laughs> in my suitcase to bring crap home. No, my, my point is, if, if you're going to go on a, on a ship to basically go to an expo, I don't know. I, I, again, I'm also used to, I mean, you know, I've been on every single one of them. I love the shows. I love the encounter. I, I can't get back on the kiss cruise fast enough. I fucking love it. And, and that's how come I'm like, well, what are they going to do? Because 
if the big thing for me, so even Liz and I were talking about today, I'm like, the big thing is a kiss show. You get to see yeah. the sail away and then you get the, the show in the, in the, in the theater and, and it's things always, awesome. things always change. Kiss uh, is getting oh. older. I, I mean, I get all that. Yeah. I would I mean, rather not have one. And, and I'm just saying this now, I could be wrong. I would rather not have one than to have, than to go and be disappointed. Right. Because well, I'm telling you right because, now, I'm telling you right now, ne- I, you know, next year's cruise, meaning the one after Kiss Cruise 11, I'm still going to go, obviously, because it's Kiss and I'm going to go and I'm a nut. Well, then what Mark's but, complaining about means nothing because yeah, he's still going. Anything. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. No, no, no. Because it's a, it's still a Kiss event. I See, that's the thing now. As we get older, much like Rick, I don't know if Rick said this before or after we were you know, recording because we just had a lengthy conversation after we were after done. the fact. Yes. Those are always the best conversations too. I just wish the off the records. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Anyways, but you know, I, I, we're all getting older and I want to keep going to kiss events. Uh-huh. Put it this way, if if all things being equal, this would already be done. Because July of last year. Oh yeah, that was supposed to be the big. That was supposed to be the one in New York. So, so if there's a silver lining in a very dark period of our country, you know, with the COVID and everything, but you know, Kiss is still here now. They're still going to play, you know. So I'm we we actually, if there's any silver lining, and I'm, I hope everybody takes this in context, but you know, we're going to get to have more Kiss shows in the next year, and I'm already planning on Tommy. We got to get together on some of this. Um, you know, Florida, Milwaukee, you know, I, I'm our, I, I want to go to those and th- that's before they announce anything else. Because as we know, Australia's been moved to what, August, Michael, uh, August and September of this year, it got pushed back from March. So, uh-huh. yes. So, so that's, we don't know what's going to happen with South America or Europe. I see, like you said, Michael Wasp um wasp just just pushed their european tour back to next year they were supposed to start touring next month in europe and that got pushed back and and again people and i just kind of want to at a high level this bands because a lot of bands are doing this right now especially related to europe it's not that they can say okay well we're not touring europe but we're just going to play a few shows in the uk that makes no financial sense for any band to take an entire tour to play four or five shows in the UK instead of all throughout Europe. They Especially have to, a band they, like Kiss. Well, yeah. any band. I mean, even somebody like Wasp, that whole tour needs to happen. It's all they or nothing. Yeah, It's all or nothing. So it's all been pushed back, whether it's Aerosmith who just pushed theirs back or whether... I think earlier this year, Accept had pushed theirs back. Now Wasp has pushed them back. You know, there's a lot more business going on behind the scenes to make these decisions, people. It has nothing to do with, they don't want to fucking play my country. Screw them. Yeah. And you know what? It's still all those uh, Vegas shows need to be Ve- rescheduled the Vegas too. residency. I mean, yeah, I you know. All I saw from the Kiss Cruise announcement was it's still happening and things are going to change. Now, as a fan, you can get all bent out of shape right now with no information about what you're getting bent out of shape on or wait until they reveal. Be patient. Wait until they reveal 
and then either buy a ticket or don't buy a ticket. That's it. Well, I'll put it this way. That's what I was getting at. I, I, I hope. I hope everyone understands. I was, I'm not getting bent out of shape. I was just surprised. Oh no, I'm not saying you were there. There's definitely some fans I've seen online who are already but getting, I don't, even read, like, other, I don't, yeah, I don't even don't read, I don't even read other know. boards because people are just, all people like to do there is complain publicly. So that's, but we don't even know thing. what that message means anyway. Yeah. Well, what so, all I'm saying is this, I, as a kiss fan, can't wait to go to kiss cruise 11. And when they do the new fangled, we're not playing on the boat one. I'm going to go to that too. And at that point, I'm going to see if I like it or not. Well, and, and you know what? And, and, and the way that was worded, it just might mean they're going to play pre-cruise on shore, but they still get on the boat and hang out with you on the yeah, boat I, and they do their special events. We don't, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know anything yeah. yet. Nobody knows anything. So why don't you just, you know, book this one knowing yep. that all we know is this is the last time they're going to perform on board. But you know what? Can I, to preface that too, you know what? As you can see, and it's like we talked about today with Big John Hart, life is so short. And don't, you know, don't keep going, well, next time, next time. There might never be a next time. You know, take advantage of what it is now. You know, go on that kiss cruise, have a great time because you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, that's just my, Amen. you know, you Amen. just don't know. Life is too short. Well, don't. Let, let's let's I know Mark has got food. Yeah, I was going to say, look, dinner's been on the right table now. for an hour. So, so let's let's get to our our memories slash interview. Um, listen, I mean, you got to stick through to the end of this because Robert awesome. Conti ends with basically Big John Hart's final words to the kiss fans um i i speaking for myself but i think we were all fighting back tears as as robert oh, yeah. was conveying john's final final words to the kiss fans um this is a great great walk down memory lane sharing memories we all have of john of working with john who john was as a person um you know John was a, a, a great big teddy bear, basically. Mm -hmm. He might look like a ferocious hell's angel, but he was a big teddy bear. And he's going to be missed greatly. I mean, he was, you know, just speaking for myself, he was right up there with the guys in the band. You know, he, he was a fifth member of KISS. You know, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, when, when you look at like John Hart and things like that, you know, KISS had these larger than life, crew members too where really i mean if, if you go back and you look at bands now like you couldn't name jack shit but looking at kiss you know oh, i know jack he's with what band <laughs> is he with hey guys i gotta i gotta right, go, go. go eat go eat mark go eat mark goodbye <laughs> goodbye no I, I know what you're saying you Lisa. know it's like the fact that we know john hart and we know jr smalling and we know rick stewart and we know like all these names who are associated with with Kiss, I mean, how how many other bands can you say that about? No, I know. You know. I mean, that was one of the things we brought up about John. But you know, Jr. Smalling, he's he he was a road manager, but he was known worldwide yep. yes. for his introduction uh -huh. to the band. John Hart, he's known for his hand. That you know, there's a guy. He's a crew member, but he's world famous in uh -huh. rock and roll. That's what I mean because of his hand. Yep. protecting the band 
that's what I mean. You, you don't ever hear that. I mean, I mean, personally, I don't know, like I said, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know of any other band that you can sit and go, you know what, back in this day and such and such, there was this guy and this guy and this guy. Like, and, you can and, name and, all and we're not people. saying there aren't great crew members in all these bands. No, 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 no. I never been there for many, many, many years and integral to these bands. Oh, yeah. But they're, they're not. Many of them are not at the level. Exactly. Of a band people. Yep. I mean, as we talk about people would line up to get a picture taken with John of having him cover their face. Yep. yep. As, as we know, as we know. So um, please, you know, let this roll. Um, enjoy, enjoy the memories we're all sharing of big John Hart. And we'll see you at the end of the interview here. Want to get your official three sides of the coin logo and shocker tee? Now you can. We ship worldwide. Get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com. Hey, three sides of the coin. We are really humbled and honored to have us join us for this special episode. Um, remembering Big John Hart, we've got Rick Stewart. Robert Conti and Stephen Altman joining us. And just so everybody knows who they are and why they're here. I mean, we've had Rick on this show a couple times in the past. Rick's Rick's the guy who hired John. Rick's the guy who did security with John. Rick was there at the beginning with John. Um, Steve has been um, John's business partner for many, many years and worked closely with John. Uh, when it came to his book. And Robert, you are the, uh, you've been working with John for the last couple of years. You're the, the new publisher for his book. Right. So um, we just thought, you know, it would, it was really great that we could all get together and maybe we just kind of have an episode of talking about John, sharing some memories, sharing some stories, um, you know, updating you know, please, people, this isn't a sales pitch, but we will update as to what's the current status of his book, because I know a lot of fans have been even posting that right now. What does that mean to his book? Is it not happening? What's going on with it? Um, but why don't we let's just before we get to some questions, let's just get this out of the way so everybody can hear this and write it down. Um, a GoFundMe page has just been started and launched for John's family. And maybe you guys want to just share that URL and who's behind it. And um, just so the fans out there know that there's an active GoFundMe so they can help John's family right now. Great. Uh, I guess maybe I'll, I'll take that one. Go ahead, Steve. Sure. So, um, so uh, I uh, set that helped Marianne set that up. And Marianne is John's wife. That's correct. Yeah, Marianne's John's wife. Brian is John's son. Um, so I helped Marianne set that up to help them offset any financial difficulties on final arrangements and bills and things like that. So all the money is going to go directly to her, to them. And uh, there's no middlemen. There's nobody taking a percentage or a commission or anything like that. Um, so everybody out there, whatever you can do, it would definitely be very much appreciated by the family. You know, by and, Mary. And, and what's the URL? 
URL is. Okay, so it's it's gofund.me, gofund.me forward slash 55D27940. I'll just repeat that. That's gofund.me forward slash 55D27940. And we will we'll post that URL in all of the show notes and we'll be posting on our social media accounts as well. So it, it, it will be easily found out there. But as Steve said, anything, any amount would be a huge help to John's family. Um, Rick, you were the guy who hired John. For the industry, yes. Uh, you want to hear that story? Yeah, take us back mm-hmm. to that. Take us back to your first meeting with John. How did that happen? Okay, I had been running security for Metropolitan Entertainment. Uh, it was also called Monarch Entertainment at the time. It was the Capitol Theater in Passaic, New Jersey, uh, which opened uh, around the same time as the Fillmore closed. A lot of us from the Fillmore came over there to do security. I was made head of security. I'd already been in the industry for a couple of years. Uh, and uh, we were doing big shows at Roosevelt Stadium, uh, 35,000 seat stadium in Jersey City, uh, old baseball park. And uh, in fact, Kiss played there in 76. Um, and we were doing a Grateful Dead ticket sale. You, you guys all know how people would camp out for two weeks mm-hmm. outside the venue to wait for tickets for the Grateful Dead. So we would always have security there, making sure they were okay. and that, you know, people weren't breaking into the building and, you know, just keeping in order. Uh, the police weren't doing anything with that. They passed by every now and then. But we went down there and, uh, and there were overnights. So I had crews coming in every night and we'd be there 24-7, about six guys, five, six guys maybe. And uh, usually things were okay, but in Jersey City, there was a gang called the Jersey City Bones that I've come to learn uh, since were pretty hardcore. Uh, been involved in some pretty serious crimes, but they were kids. I mean, they were like 18, 19 year old kids then. And they, this was their turf. And I got word, I was standing up at the front of the line and I got word that uh, these guys were harassing people on the line, which was quite long. So you couldn't see the end of the line from where it was. And, uh, that there, was, there were problems going on. So I grabbed a couple of my guys and I said, let's go. We went down there to see what was going on. We were a whole bunch of these guys in silks, and colors, but uh, in Jersey City Bones. And uh, they were messing with some people and trying to get money from people and just harassing people. And uh, there were about 20 of them. And there were three of us, so four of us. And I found out, I figured out who the leader was and got with him and he and I were talking and I was trying to convince him that it wasn't a good idea to do this, that they weren't going to come out on the good end. And uh, we were surrounded, the three of us were surrounded by these 20 guys. And suddenly, just to my right, I hear this voice and the guy goes, I'm with you. And I look, it's this big dude big mustache, dressed in leathers and stuff. I go, cool. Anyway, uh, we worked it out with the street gang and got them sent away. 
Um, I have my ways of doing things like that. <laughs> and uh, I, I kind of convinced them that, yeah, you're going to beat the shit out of three of us, but it's going to be several you ending up in the hospital. And uh, I guess they decided not to. I tried to go one-on-one -on -one with their leader. He wouldn't do that. But anyway, there's John. Popped out from the crowd. He was waiting online for tickets. And the, they, they dispersed. And I said, you want a job? And he said, yeah. I said, yeah, you don't need to buy tickets. Don't worry about it. Get <laughs> off the line. You're hired. You're working for me now. You're starting now. And uh, then he went to work for me at the Capitol and Roosevelt Stadium. And we did big festivals. And John became my number two guy. I could rely on him. I had a lot of guys that were tough guys. I had a lot of guys that were little guys. In fact, we put one of the littlest guys down in the center aisle of the Capitol at the front of the stage, a guy named Eddie Collin. He's passed, but he weighed about 90 pounds. I put Big John on one side watching Eddie and a guy named Ben Lee, about six foot six and huge guy on the other side of the venue watching Eddie and people would come down and they, Eddie would embarrass them into going back to their seats. If there was a big guy down there, they'd come and want to fight with them. But there's a little guy and, you know, they come down and, and he was real smart and he knew how to talk to these people and get them back to the seats. But if anybody started to mess with them, we had them covered. So uh, John became my number two in all our major security ventures. And he was someone I could rely on and trust. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys thought this was a party. I would have people come to me and say, hey, I want to work for you. I said, why do you want to work for me? Well, I want to see the shows. Well, if you want to see the shows, go buy a ticket. Because <laughs> chances are, if you're going to work for me, you're going to be outside in the cold and the snow, you know, getting the bums out off the street, you know, chasing street people around. And you're not going to see the show. You're not even going to hear the show. So buy a ticket. But John was someone I could rely on and um, never, you know, never got drunk at a gig. A lot of guys did that. A lot of guys were doing drugs and kicked back in those days. And uh, anyway, I'd already been on tour. I'd been on tour with Stories. And then I went out with Lou Reed. I did a, a world tour with Lou Reed in uh, the beginning of 1975 as his production manager. And did security for him as well. It wasn't a tour like the Kiss tour. It was, you know, in Europe it was big, but uh, it wasn't quite the dimensions of Kiss. But uh, I got uh, Stars, the band Stars. Richie Rano, the guitar player from Stars, had been the guitar player in Stories. I had been out with Stories. And uh, Stars was managed by O'Coin. And they wanted me to come and tour manage them. And I went and I met with Bill. And we talked about everything. And he said, look, I can't afford to pay you what you're worth for stars. But I need someone to run security for, uh, for KISS and also act as a bodyguard. Would you be interested? And I accepted the job. And there I was. I was the one bodyguard for four guys in an up-and-coming band. And I think it was just a couple of weeks after the first live album came out. So we'd go out on tour, but we'd be scheduled to play like a 3,000-seater. And suddenly we'd get a call from the promoter, I, I need a bigger venue, and we'd switch to an arena. 
and we do like two days in the arena instead of one day at a 3,000 seater because that's how much sales they were generating. And suddenly it was like working for the Beatles. There'd be kids everywhere. And of course, these were the days where you can't take a picture of without makeup. So I got ran ragged for about, I guess about two, three weeks until I went to Bill and said, Bill, I can't do this myself. And, uh, and the crew was always helping out when they could, JR would help out. But uh, Bill let me, uh, said, okay, hire someone. So I hired Big John. I think he was my first call. And I said, you want to come out on the road? John Cher was probably really pissed off at me because I, I left. I was his head of security. And now I pulled the guy who replaced me and um, took him out on the road. And uh, yeah, we did uh, American stuff. And uh, we did the first European tour. And then there was, uh, of course, the big firing that, you know, in 76, with JR and me and about half the crew. And somehow John lasted. He and I talked about it several times. And he has no idea why he was kept. And we weren't. I think it was Peter, honestly. Peter wanted me to carry some stuff for him that I didn't want to carry. And Peter and I didn't get along real well. I think and and, and John was was pretty much working with Ace and Peter. So he was sort of their guy, right? It was pretty much split up that way. Although, you know, we were both doing everything. And, you know, running security on a tour doesn't mean you're just a bodyguard for the band. It means you have to set up security for the airport when they're coming in. You have to deal with security at the hotel when they're there. You have to deal with security at the venue and have it set up the way you want it set up. And I didn't want KISS fans hurt or pushed around. They were there to see the band. I wanted them to feel good about the experience. It's very important. And so you want to have a meeting with the security people. You want to set it up. You want to let them know. You do not get physical with our fans. You don't do that. And uh, you tell them how you want them to be in front of the stage. So there's all that. But then there's also the band. Paul wants to go shopping. Uh, Gene wants to go eat. You know, and it's like the two guys, it was tough. And um, you know, we, we earned our money and didn't get much sleep. Now, we had a lot of fun. Now, from, you know, thinking back as a fan back in the 70s, John in all those pictures came across as what he is large imposing you know but but as as you got as you know john he's really quite a gentle giant he's very quiet he's very unassuming he's very laid back he's not the guy that you think is just going to step right up out of the blue and chest butt you and put your head through a wall even though that's what he looked like was that one of his advantages absolutely to look that way and you know and be intimidating looking like that but being you know a kind person and a good person and having a good heart absolutely we never we never drew blood on anybody when we were with kids we never had to do that uh you know being a bodyguard professional bodyguard your job is to keep things safe, not to beat people up. And uh, John was wonderful at that. He's imposing. You don't want to mess with the guy. He's big. I was much more intense than John. 
as far as you know that kind of situation and um, I'm not as kind as he is. I didn't have as much patience. I think, you know, probably because I've been doing it for a little bit longer and you, you kind of start losing your patience at times. But no, it, it absolutely was a, a, a powerful thing for him to look imposing, but to be such a, a, a good person and a nice person who didn't want to hurt anybody. Now, one of the other things that, to me, again, speaking as a fan, John was almost like the true fifth member. He was always in photos somewhere. He was the guy standing next to the band, the band members. Was that something that, I don't know, caught him by surprise that he didn't think he was going to be getting that sort of attention that the fan, that the fans were going to start knowing big John Hart as much as they knew Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Ace Fraley, and Peter Chris. No, I don't think John had any, concept or idea of that at all. Uh, I mean, we were all in pictures. I'm in a ton of pictures, you know that. You've seen lots of pictures of me with the, the band and different stuff. And you know, somewhere here, I have a, a Polaroid of Gene Simmons mooning me in my hotel room in full makeup and costume with a guitar, which I'm sure somebody would pay me a lot of money for, but I won't sell it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Gene would pay me a lot of money for it. <laughs> but, um, uh, Gene, he wouldn't care, I'm sure. But um, it, it just, I think it was John's look and uh, how he looked. I mean, people would look at pictures of me and go, wow, uh, you know, a 27-year-old me looks like a 60-year-old Howard Stern. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just going to say, you look like a Howard, you look like Howard Stern in some of those pictures. <laughs> well, yes. Howard Stern was a martial arts background. And, uh, and a little bit of a different attitude. I grew up a little differently than Howard did. But uh, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, they would see me and I'm just a guy. I was a guy in good shape. That's all, you know, or whatever. But John was, he just had this look about him. And then, uh, I mean, he, I know more people in the industry who have worked for Kiss than any other band. It's very strange. It's always been strange to me because Paul being such an insecure person uh, that they didn't want to keep the same guys. But I, my theory is that when Glickman Marks came in to help with financial management, uh, they said, get rid of everybody who you're close to and uh, who you're friends with. And um, I had, uh, Paul and I had a swim together in Hawaii that made us pretty close. You've heard about that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and Gene and I were real good friends. And I mean, Paul and I were hanging out off tour. And uh, he called me up and go, let's do this or do that. Or something. And, um, and, and yeah, John was hanging out. Uh, Lydia would invite everybody over for dinner. And, you know, everybody was always welcome at their house to come and have dinner or hang out. It was very family and homey. And, uh, you know, the new business managers came in and that's when we all got fired. JR, me, uh, Mick. And, and there's a lot of different theories about why and how. Um, and I don't know if we'll ever know the true story, but... Um, that true story probably uh, is left with Bill of Coin of anybody. I would think the band. 
I would guess Peter uh, and Paul, Gene, Nace probably know what happened. I don't think anything happened even back then without the band agreeing to it. I, that's, that's my feeling. Um, it's funny because when O'Coin fired me, he said to me, I have some other bands and uh, I'd be interested in you possibly tour managing. And uh, I was kind of pissed off. And uh, I basically said to him, go fuck yourself. And I walked out of his office. And uh, I wouldn't have worked for him again anyway. But uh, yeah, my, my feeling was after what had happened in Hawaii, and I, I knew I had done a very good job in a very bad situation and gotten them set up. And there were pictures of them around without makeup. That was me and John for a lot of years, for a lot of time. Well, not a lot of years, but a lot of months. But uh, yeah, I, I, I really felt, uh, I didn't see it coming. I did not see it coming at all. I, I felt like I had a, a job for life. Uh, that's how it felt. And it seemed like family. And suddenly we were all gone. But John stayed. And John was with him for eight years. As I started saying before, in the industry, there were more people who've worked for KISS than any other band. And they've worked for KISS. I know, I'm, I'm here in Dallas. I know 10 people who I do work with who are stagehands or sound guys or something zero legit who they've all worked for KISS. I was a rigger on this tour for two months. And they, they just change crew all the time. Which is... Well, Kind of an odd thing. Well, one of the things about John is even after he sort of left full time with Kiss, he came back into the Kiss world at other times later on. I mean, he was there as as recently, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think it was the 2003 Aerosmith tour. He had some some involvement. I, I don't think he was working security with them, but he he kept coming back in at other times through his life you know and that must say something about how gene and paul saw john i'm sure absolutely there was something uh about john they... and and steve maybe you can maybe you can address that because you you first met john after he left kiss and then went to iron maiden and maybe you know as recently as the last few years as working with him, you've probably talked to him about him coming back in and out of the kiss camp as well. Sure. Sure. Um, well, uh, as far as, uh, him coming in and out of the camp, I mean, let me tell you, like I, like you mentioned, I, I met John in the mid eighties, I think 84 when I started with iron Maiden. he had started the year before. And I'll just tell you this real quick while we're on the, on that part of the subject. Um, so, um, I was friendly, I got friendly with Steve Harris, the bass player, leader of Iron Maiden, and I was a player and I'd go back and forth from playing and working and, uh, had a bad situation, uh, group that I was in and had a big record deal and stuff broke up. And basically I ended up going to work for them, take my mind off of it, learn more about the business. And the funny thing is the reason I'm getting to this is the funny thing is, is so I show up at the beginning uh, of the writing recording of the uh, Power Slave album. I guess that was 84. So, um, you know, I knew Steve. I, I meet the other guys. 
I show up. I'm one of the few Americans on a gigantic, what turned to be a gigantic tour. I'm one of the few Americans. I was young. It was a little intimidating. And I walk in the lounge. And of course, there's the band and the guys. And there's Big John Hart. Now, I grew up a rabid Kiss fan. I knew exactly who he was. And I scanned the room and, you know, I don't go over and introduce myself to Bruce Dickinson or, <laughs> or guitar players or anybody. John just, was a celebrity. I just steamed right over to him and I said, I just, I, I he, he used to tell it, I cocked my head. I go, you're John fucking Hart. And he, I can curse on you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, he, and he laughed and he said, yeah. And I said, holy shit, my friends are not going to believe this. In the meantime, you know, Iron Maiden, they were huge, but, you know, they were coming into themselves and, you know, and they teased me. I mean, everybody, that band, there's, you know, their, their egos don't work that way. Everybody thought that was the funniest thing, but I, it was, I was no, it was no acting job for me. I, I, I was like, I couldn't believe it. John Hart from Kiss is here. I'm in the middle of British nowhere, you know, and bam. So that, so that, that, that's that thing. But as far as, uh, Jumping ahead to, um, you know, how he was with those guys. Look, I, I know those guys, you know, I've, I've worked on stuff through the years with, you know, with them, with their companies, whatever. Um, but I, I always knew them through John and Paul and Gene were always incredibly warm to John from the things I personally saw to the, the things that I'd heard. Um, and they always treated him like, like family. I mean, helped him out when he needed it. Uh, you know, um, uh, they, every once in a while, he call and got to call and talk to, uh, to John and, and, uh, or Marianne, or, you know, when Brian was born, John's John and Marianne's son. Um, so just incredibly warm to him. Of course, Peter and Ace were always incredibly warm as well. And he truly was, I mean, you know, people say, oh, we're a big family. But it, in my eyes, from what I saw, and John certainly wasn't a bragger. So these opinions are of the things that I saw or the stories that I heard. Uh, but they were incredibly warm to him and very caring to him. And um, and through the years, he, uh, you know, would go back and forth every once in a while. What you're referring to in 2003, he was actually, John was actually working for Upstaging. And okay. he showed up on the, the tour uh, with both both bands and they just couldn't believe, wow, John's here. So, you know, the way oh, so, John, so so the bands didn't even know John was going to no, be there. No. And here's the funny thing is, is that, you know, whether it was, you know, I always in my personal op opinion or my perception, I saw in a way John was almost a status symbol for them that harken back to years before. That's just my opinion, the way I, I, I read some of that in, in a way. And, um, you know, he would tell, I, I'd gone out on that tour. I'd taken Brian, his son out for a couple of shows, but I'd go out on the tour and, you know, every once in a while they'd borrow him. Could you help us with this? Could we do this? Could we do that? Um, you know, if there was a, any sort of a film crew, you know, John would walk them. Like it was like, you know, it was just, it was just, they realized that, that he was such a fan favorite and it was a feather in, in my opinion, of course, that he was a feather in their cap as well as is in theirs. And, and I think that uh, it just showed, you know, how much respect there was for him, how much value there was for him. 
And uh, it, it, it was a great thing. I, I'd gone with John, uh, I'll cap it after this. I'd gone with John to the, uh, to the 97, to the first show. And uh, my production company was act, actually a little bit involved in that tour. But John and I flew out and, uh, you know, he and I are the ones sitting in the dressing room with them putting their makeup on. I was just, you know, I'd, I'd worked in the music industry. I'd worked with everybody at that point. But, I, but I'm just like sitting there. If the 16-year-old me could see me sitting there while Ace is asking me, could you pass me that white paint there, Curly? You know, um, yeah, it, it blew my mind. So, you know, nobody was in there. Nobody was behind those, those um, curtains that they put Superman up. Superman curtains. And there's me and John, you know, get, come, on, come on right in. And, you know, so they really had such a, a love and family affinity for him. It was well, let, let me let me ask you, Steve. So you're in the dressing room, Kiss is putting on the makeup, and you're there with John. Who are you more in awe of being there with? Oh my John God. in the Kiss dressing room or with Kiss in the Kiss dressing room? Well, you know, at that point, it was just I was euphoric. I mean, I was, you know, John was my buddy at that at that point. We'd been friends for over ten years, and so of course I was glad to be there. I was happy for the invite. I certainly wouldn't have been in there if I wasn't with John on, you know, on John's coattail, so to speak. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just, just blew my mind. There's, there's my childhood heroes putting the makeup on in the outfits. Now I'd already met them all before in playing clothes through the non-makeup years. Uh, you know, Ace being out on a solo thing, even when Peter was out on a solo thing, I would always go with John and hang with those guys, but just in the makeup and everything, it just completely blew my mind. And I just remember sitting there thinking, one of my childhood heroes, um, fellow named Art. I just kept thinking, I can't wait to call Art. I can't wait to tell everybody about this. I'm in, I'm in the effing room, you know, with them, with the makeup, with the outfits, with this, with that. You know, um, it was just a, it was just something. Did, I, did, go ahead. I'm sorry. Did did John um, understand his position in the Kiss? family in the eyes of the fans did he understand how you know again and and tommy lisa and mark you can chime in as fans here as well you know as a fan we saw john right up there with the band he was yeah. right yeah. there with the band to, to your point you're in the iron maiden studio and it's john fucking hart <laughs> i mean did he understand that magnitude of what he was you know he he really I think he truly understood it when we first started going out and doing some of these conventions, you know, I mean, the line for his table was longer or just as long as anybody else, including past members. Um, it just the, and because he didn't do a million of those through the years, you know, the, the fan reaction to him was just incredible. And I think it was really then that he really realized the impact that he had made or his part of history, so to speak, you know, was so embedded with the fans. And that's, that's really when he really saw that. And, you know, like in the airports, you know, everybody's flying to the convention in the hotel lobbies, you know, and out in, you know, restaurants close to the venue, whatever have you. Yeah. He was just, he was floored. The first couple ones he did, he goes, yeah, he'd look at me and he goes, I can't fucking believe this. You know, I don't can't believe anybody even remembers me. And I'm like, you and I and I knew, of course, but I'm like, you have no idea. These people revere you. He's like, a legend. He's a like legend in the yeah. eyes of fans. 
Yeah. I told him once I saw I'm a geek. I'm into Star Trek and 1966 Batman. I was up one night. I was on like one of those Batman forums and they were talking about who, the, who you wanted to be when you were a kid. And out of nowhere, this guy writes, he said, he goes, uh, they were, oh, there was some kind of a connection to kiss. I forget the exact connection. He said, I wanted to be this guy named big John Hart. He said, John Hart was the guy that made it all happen for them. He was their protector. He was this, he was that. He was the guy that kept people from stopping them, taking pictures with makeup and taking the film from photographers. And Rick, you know, you were there. Oh, it's um, great. It's great. Yes. So, you know, it was, it was just, um, it was incredible. Um, and and he, he started to realize that, how, how, how much of an impression he made on everybody, you know? The, the first time I met John was at the hotel in Omaha during the Crazy Nights tour. And I was going to go, I was with my buddy Danny and we were going up to the bar. And this is the, I want to say it was like the red line or something. Anyone from Omaha will know. And I get in the elevator. We're going to go up to the top floor where the bar is. And um, someone says, hey, hold that elevator and so i i pop my hand in and stop the door and in walks paul stanley and john hart and i look at both of them and i'm like you're john hart <laughs> <laughs> you know and paul's just like you know kind of like really you know yeah. and and we we had a quick little conversation that i and i remember saying look i said i know that you you know, this is before the show. I said, oh, I'm sure you need to rest and all that. I said, we won't follow you off. We're just going up to the bar, but will you come later tonight and sign some stuff for us after the concert? And Paul's like, yeah, absolutely. And, and sure enough, he did. And John pulled me aside and he's like, you know what? That was so cool of you. I wanted to make sure that this would happen for you tonight because you were so respectful. You knew that, you know, I didn't have to worry about you and you guys didn't cross the line. And even when they all showed up at the bar after the show, we didn't just go running up to them. We waited until John gave us the nod to go over and talk to them. And it was just a great experience. And then I would always talk to him whenever I saw him. And I'm, I'm sure he never remembered me until I got to know him at some of these conventions. But it was, you know, to Rick's point, it's important for them too that the fans are treated respectfully. Very much so. And there were fans that would come and just run up to someone or do something, you know, and it, like, I, I need to tackle this guy. He's running for Peter. Right. You know, it's a lot different. They come and say, yeah, there are fans and there are fans. Oh, there was a guy who jumped over the barricade on the side of the arena at one of the shows recently and Fran tackled him. Uh-huh. You know, so yeah, absolutely, because you don't know where it's coming from. But we wanted to make sure we didn't get in the way. Absolutely, but he no, was and, and uh, we were very respectful of the fans, and we wanted the fans to be respectful of us in there. Totally, because you guys are just doing your job. You know, I, just, I have to think John might have left. Now you guys might know the timing better than I do, but I know Kiss had a downturn for a while in the eighties. I actually did a show with them at the Ritz in New York, which is only 2,200 seats. Mm -hmm. I was running the Ritz in New York for a while. And uh, they came in and did a show. And they had a bodyguard with them. It made me laugh. 
when they came and saw me, they were very warm and all came over and hugged me and Jean uh, got me to come out and walk out in the crowd with them outside and walk around like the old days. And, you know, we were right to the crowd. <laughs> and, you know, just me and Gene and he side of things and talk to people. And uh, they had a bodyguard with them. But this guy, he was big. He was probably about six, six, but he must have weighed 500 pounds. And I mean, I could have, I mean, if the guy grabbed me, he probably could have broken me in half, but there was no way this guy would ever be able to grab me. And it was kind of odd. It was like, they got a little red bodyguard or something. And, uh, I think it was, you know, when they were kind of down and out for a while. And I think maybe by, well, by 2003, I think they were starting to come back, but John was working for upstaging. So they, I know they've gone through a lot of security. Well, John, security. John was <laughs> basically last full-time security with KISS, the Creatures of the Night Tour. That's right. You know, his, his, and if I recall, Steve, because I think John said this in his show with us, it was right after the Creatures show in Rio that he left Kiss to go work with Iron Maiden. And then he was with Iron Maiden for a while. And it was, it wasn't like he then came back during the 80s and was full time with Kiss. He came back, it was like, like you said, it was through somebody else. I think he was driving a bus at one point. Adrian was a big trucking company. Yeah. Yes. Fighting company. Yeah. So, so yeah, Creatures would have been his last full-time tour security with Kiss that, that he would have been on. And I would imagine he went to Iron Maiden because it was more money. Yeah. They Very well could be. They, heavily recruited him they maiden uh i'm sorry kiss opened up for maiden in europe um obviously Ma- 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 uh, maiden opened up for kiss in europe I'm sorry maiden opened up for kiss in on europe. the unmasked tour that's correct and uh you know i from what i understand they were still you know they were doing larger places over there than they were currently in in 1980 than they were here yep. and uh it was a month it was a bigger production it was, uh, you know, more, uh, like Rick had said, more more things to wrangle. The venue, the hotel, the airport, the, the, you know, everything. And they were all always very impressed by them. Uh, Maiden's, you know, two managers were very on top of things. And uh, along with Steve Harris, the bass player, and, and they basically recruited him. They wanted him. They knew his value. And Kiss's thing, he was going to, like Rick, I believe Rick had mentioned, or you had mentioned too, it was going off of salary as far as like, you know, when they weren't on the road. So when right. they weren't on the road there, you know, there was no, as far as I know, there was, you know, there was no compensation, uh, which most bands are like that, but uh, you're right though. Um, yeah, Iron yeah. Maid was a very lucrative. Yeah. Iron Maid was a very lucrative uh, uh, deal at that point for him. And um, you know, he, uh, to his credit, he, uh, he left uh, Kiss the right way. I know that, uh, you know, that there was a little extra time added to make sure that they were set and they were settled. He wasn't leaving them high and dry. And, uh, yeah, he went right to, uh, to Maiden in 83. And, uh, um, and I met up with him when I started, you know, probably six months or less after that, I think in 
February of 84, January of 84, something like that. So he was already there. And I believe he was with Maiden up through, I could be wrong, maybe the end of the 86, 87 tour, maybe uh, 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 Iron Maiden album somewhere in time, if I remember correctly. And then he'd moved on again. Talk to us, and this could go out to Rick, Robert, or Steve. Um, talk to us about that photo that basically made Big John Hart absolutely famous from People Magazine. And as we all know now, it was a staged photo. But back then, again, as a fan, and I saw that in People Magazine, that was absolutely the, the, wow. coolest, the coolest thing to see was, was Big John Hart protecting Paul Stanley with the hand right there. And, and, you know, talking about the convention, Steve, that became John's trademark. Every fan wanted to recreate Absolutely. that photo. I mean, think about that. We John did. is a John, John's a crew <laughs> member. John was a crew member basically right. for a band yet. He has this famous pose that, Every fan wants to recreate, which again ups him to the level of a band member, basically. Well, yeah. you know, it, it, uh, um, let me okay. So, you know, the the uh, as you guys know from uh, previous interviews, I became uh, a rabid Kiss fan in the early '80s. You know, around the Creatures Look It Up time, um, even though I obviously, you know, was very aware of the band before. And you know, the thing about the People magazine photo. A lot of KISS fans from that era didn't see that photo then, you know, because they weren't getting People magazine every week. That kind of came later. The first time that the rabid KISS fans, that at least in my generation of guys that got into it in the 80s, were was the People magazine episode where, you know, Vinny, Vincent, oh, yes, yes. Eric Carr, yeah. PM magazine, Paul Stanley, um, PM yeah. magazine, yeah, P Paul Stanley. Gene Simmons walks yep. out, the newscaster goes, hey, um, are you Gene Simmons to John? Jones? no, I'm the bodyguard. He puts his yep. hand like yep. that and grabs yep. the camera. And then you hear the reporter go, oh, my God. <laughs> so guys like me were like, who is that guy? <laughs> you know, what, what did he just do to the reporter? <laughs> exactly. What do you mean? You know, and the thing was, it's funny because Steve was on this call with John when I when when I John had asked me, you know, how what was my first exposure to him? And I said the PM magazine interview. And I said, man, you know, that was incredible what you did. He started laughing. He goes, oh, you silly teenager. Because that whole thing was staged. <laughs> I thought it was organic. <laughs> well, really? He goes, <laughs> but, I mean, that's you know, what we would do. People would be showing up with cameras and we'd have the band without makeup. So one hand would go in the band face and the other hand would go in the camera. And then that's grab right. the camera yeah. and we'd take the film out. And, you know, giving back the film. Sometimes we give them new film or pay them. Uh, we started doing that after a while because we started feeling bad, for, you know, taking their film. And there were one or two roles that I actually got developed that, you know, they came out as a full role. And there were some where they didn't have any good pictures of kids without makeup. And, you know, you'd see somebody's like kid or, you know, started feeling bad about taking their film away. But we, we did replace it sometimes but, <laughs> but yeah i mean that was that was the thing you know it's a very yeah. natural position and uh yeah it's really funny but that's a 
Yeah, yeah. So the People magazine, uh, that photo that uh, I believe uh, uh, Ray Ann Rubenstein shot, um, my understanding, you know, as I remember also, when the KISS convention started happening around 87 or so, um, maybe a little bit earlier, um, you know, that People magazine was one of those magazines that the dealers could easily charge 25, 30 bucks for. And, you know, you open up that spread, you see John with Paul. I mean, that was just that just became such an iconic thing. But, you know, I also had the the pleasure of of um, interviewing Bill O'Coin years ago in Carol Kay's office. Carol Kay did publicity for Kiss and then later for Ace. And I asked Bill, I said, you know, yeah, what's the deal with John Hart? And he goes, OK. Out of all the people that you know have ever worked for Kiss, you know, you know, and they had the crew and everything. Wouldn't you agree that John was the one that you could see from his his girth, his size, that that intimidating mustache, that look of I'm going to kick your ass. Don't even try it. He goes, don't you think that when you've got four guys, six feet plus with platforms, almost seven feet tall, didn't John give you that feeling that he could protect those four guys <laughs> that they're not, they couldn't necessarily, if they couldn't necessarily protect themselves and they look like they certainly could, don't you think a guy like John was the guy? And I'm like, wow, I never thought of it that way. And, um, you know, it made perfect sense. So, you know, from, from a coin's point of view, it was certainly, you know, a, a valid reason. Why it's, a, it's almost John like was John was part of the kiss mystique that Bill a coin yeah. crafted. Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. And, um, you know, um, uh, I had also had a chance through Carol to meet Sean Delaney about a month later, and he kind of said the same thing. He was just like, just that John's look was just like, you know, you could just look at this guy and say, I'm not going to take a chance of messing with this fella. And, and it just, it made perfect sense. And like I said, once, uh, you know, the, the Kiss video scene exploded at the kiss conventions and you could get that pm magazine video you know it just says it all right there you just watch that 10 seconds of footage and it's like yeah that guy could do the job <laughs> let me let me just throw this in there john had told me a, a little story about um when they were in japan rick i don't know if you were you were there then no i never went to japan with them. okay so so uh so there was a uh i don't know if it was in the dressing room wherever it was but there were photos with uh, the band members and Godzilla. You know, there was those. Godzilla yep. probably six, seven feet tall. And um, um, uh, Mr. Udo, if you've ever toured Japan, the oh, Udo Corporation yeah. is basically it. Um, so uh, somebody from Udo's office basically said, we must have a picture of John Hart or the bodyguard or whoever with Godzilla. That's your Godzilla. You know, and, then, and there's pictures of John with, you know, with the bodyguard, you know, it's, or I'm sorry, with, with Godzilla. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's that's, funny. that's a funny bit. I, I hadn't thought about that for a long time. Yeah, Mr. Trudeau was the promoter in Japan and just he took care of bands like yes. you, wouldn't believe. Yeah. you did. You didn't you didn't tour Japan without Mr. Udo's approval, basically. No, and you didn't have to. Uh, I did. OK, I did Japan. Uh, with Lou Reed, I did it with a few different acts. But first time I did it was with Lou Reed, and I was Lou's production manager. And the first day we were there, we rehearsed at the Budokan, and uh, there was a show coming in, so we had to strike everything. Mr. Udo's crew, there were all these 
young Japanese guys in white jumpsuits. And the, the, uh, they came and watched what we did. It was me and I think two of my guys, that was it. They watched the whole setup and everything. And the next day we came in, we struck the stage. By the time we got there, everything was set up. Every table was perfectly where it was supposed to go. It was yeah. like, I, I just sat down and watched the tour. Rick, Rick, did you notice it? Rick, did you notice they were probably measuring things? My experience of that was they would measure the distance on something and, and how far this was from that. And, was and then Rudo took everybody, the entire entourage, yes. out every single night to a different place for dinner and just places that made you fall over and just amazing. And uh, what's the experience? Yeah. When you went to Japan, with a band and you and Mr. Udo is your promoter, you're gonna have a good time. Absolutely. Steve, Robert, um, you know, as you've been working, had, had been working with John on his book, which was kind of pulling back all these memories, did John have a favorite memory or moment of his time with Kiss that really made him smile? Robert? Oh, okay. Well, yeah. you know, since 20, <laughs> since, since 2019, I've been talking to John roughly one or two hours a week. We, we, for the most part, every Wednesday was our conference call where I would just sit and listen to him speak. And, you know, the, it's interesting because that first round, uh, you know, the, you know, the tour where the, um, where he was with the band for eight years exclusively, you know, one of the things he told me that, um, you know, he was grateful for in hindsight was to be part of the evolution of the concert scene. In other words, when he first started working shows, and, and I'm sure Rick can attest to this, I mean, he was telling me about all these crazy experiences about safety issues. You know, you go to one show, you know, the stage would just be a wreck. You could literally put the the, the amplifier on the stage and it would fall through the floor because the wood had been so rotted out by termites and things like that. And, you know, just the just the, you know, going around the country and going to different shows and seeing just how, you know, things we take for granted today, even like walkie-talkie, because he goes, when I first started, walkie-talkies were like creme de la creme, because you could, you know, that was not a usual thing to be able to just, you know, talk to your colleagues oh, on a walkie-talkie, yeah. yep. right? You had to walk to the, wherever the other people were to communicate and make sure everything was going. But one of the funniest stories he was telling me was the Barry Levine Alive 2 photo session where, you know, he's watching Barry shooting these, you know, uh, shooting the stage and while all these explosives were going off and, you know, there'd be test, tests done at that session where, you know, the flames of the bombs were too hot or too close and, you know, all this had to be figured out. There was no engineer originally that came in and said, yeah, you have to make sure the bomb here, or the loud sound here is going to be four feet away from the band members and all this stuff in the fire can't be, you know, closer than this, you know, otherwise these guys could potentially get, you know, uh, whatever, you know, um, uh, what's that rash, whatever. And, um, all this had to be figured out as KISS got bigger, the explosives got bigger, the sound effects got bigger. There was no, there was no handbook on this. There was there no were, there were no computer programs or simulations. Right, right. All of this was trial by error. And you know, trial by fire, <laughs> however you want to term it. <laughs> and it was just fascinating to listen to him 
you know, yeah, the arena you rigging. Yeah, there's no, there was no book. Arena <laughs> rigging. It is written by a man named Harry Donovan, who, when we first went out with Kiss, we didn't fly anything in the air. The lighting was all on pneumatic trees. Yep. Sound was all stacked. Nothing yep. was flown. We were the first band, I think. The Rolling Stones had uh, some stuff, but and, and some flying stuff. But we had Harry was Kiss's rigger when he was a kid. Uh, I'm trying to get to the camera. You got it. Yeah. You got it. Look, this is the Bible. Look at the size of this book. Okay, this is just arena rigging. This isn't rigging in like a theater. This is rigging in an arena, like or you know, Texas Stadium or uh, uh, the Madison uh, Square Garden. Yeah, you know, or SoFi Stadium, or you know, anything. That's the kind of rigging this is. And Harry, who was on tour with us, wrote the book. He's now dead, but Harry literally wrote the book on arena rigging. So yes, and it's sitting right here in my book. So I mean, so can you imagine like, you know, we, I mean, we take all the concerts we see today, we take for granted because, you know, everything is synchronized properly. Everything's coordinated. There's a certain formula, you know, this was all, you know, this was all, let's figure it out as we're going along kind of thing. I mean, you know. <laughs> He was telling the pants. Me, yeah yeah he was telling me that the kiss logo lights would sometimes you know burn out at the you know right before you know they're yeah who's gonna have the extra bulbs that you know you gotta hurry up and do all this before it gets on stage and um, it's stuck yeah yeah so the days before computers the days before cell phones and to oh, yeah. you know you mentioned the grateful dead show john told me all about that night as well and and you know working other shows like with lou reed greg allman new york dolls so on and so forth and and just you know the different the different vibe i mean you know we're we're all the age where we remember going to concerts and everybody would have their lighters up and you know most of the time you could smell weed everywhere very different vibe today it's all cell phones holding up the cell phones oh. i miss those days you know and John was saying, yeah. <laughs> but the weed is still there there the you weed. go <laughs> yeah but it's legal now steve yeah, it's yeah. legal <laughs> not but one, one of the one of the funny stories he told me was you know not only did you know you had to watch out for cameras because you didn't want to catch the band without makeup but he goes you know one time he was you know he, he basically confiscated some film from someone and they also had a you know a, um, a portable cassette recorder you know and it was big enough was that mark seen. was that mark <laughs> <laughs> but but it was funny john says to the to the person you know uh, you got to give me the film of the camera and he goes Please don't take my tape. The guy goes, I don't care. John goes, I don't care about your fucking tape. <laughs> <Don't hold me. laughs> you know, he goes, and I'm sure some of those kiss bootlegs from the 70s, you know, one of them's got to be that guy's tape. And I'm like, probably Absolutely. we have no way to figure mm -hmm. it out. But I, you know, it's stories like that it, that he would say. And, you know, you guys, you guys have known John speaking at the conventions and he did the he did the podcast with you guys and others. And you know, he would tell stories that you know we all have come to know and love but you know part of working with him was to try to get more meat out of those stories and to try to get you know some of the minutiae that you wouldn't necessarily fit into a 
you know, hour and a half, two hour podcast. So he would say some of the same stories and I'd be like, oh yeah, but tell me about this. And, you know, what were people dressed like back then? And what was like the kind of vibe and, you know, what was the groupie scene at the day? And what did, how, how bad, would, how desperate were people to get tickets and they couldn't get them? And what exactly would they offer to do if you know, he would tell me these like crazy stories that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty difficult to, um, to get emotion out of these days, but I tell you, my mouth dropped at some of the things he told me. So it's, it's, it's going to be an entertaining project. St- Steve, sure. what, what, what do you remember John telling you as some of his greatest memories of his time with Kiss? You know, just, I, 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 I've been trying to think of that. Um, you know, he, he, at the time, and, and I'm sure, uh, you know, Robert and Rick can testify to this, at the time, you know, when when Rick uh, hired him, he um, he it was a job. He was, you know, wasn't it wasn't necessarily his cup of tea what they were doing, or you know. So he, um, but you know, he quickly, you know, he, he quickly, you know, fell in love with them. They were, you know, they were, you know, he he enjoyed it. He enjoyed the pace of their rise, how they were, you know going up and you know the, the all of the uh all the things that go along with that um but it was a job for him and he um you know he i think he kind of kept that because he didn't want to be part of the show necessarily he didn't want to compete with of course you're not going to compete with the four of those guys in your prime um but uh he was he was very happy in his in his role Okay, and I I think that's probably why people were drawn to him, because he really he really felt a duty to to really be the best he could be, protect them. I'm sure at times they were understaffed. There weren't like Rick had mentioned, there weren't enough people around. Um, but he really enjoyed that, and I think that as their rise, as their success happened, I think he'd be the first one to tell you that's not because of me and it, and it wasn't, but, um, but he really took pride and enjoyed the fact that they basically blew up and they turned into what we all know them as, and we all love them as. And, uh, and I know he was very prideful for that. And, uh, I take those kind of memories to heart because for him, it wasn't about the, the, um, the excesses that came along with it that he got to experience. He was really there. He was really there for the right reasons. And not just for Kiss, for the other, you know, for, uh, you know, Billy Idol and, um, and yeah, Iron Maiden. Yeah. That's the only show we ever did. No, he, as I said before, he took it seriously. Yep, yep. And uh, that's, that was somewhat unique. It was the old West back in those days. It really was. Yes, that's what he it says. Was, yeah. You know, uh, whole different business than it is now. Um, I certainly wouldn't hire me now to be the head of security for uh, <laughs> act. I mean, even if I was years younger, but you know, you, you, there's terrorism, there's people who could be have bombs strapped on them. We were street fighters, we were street kids. We were, you know, it was all, it was the old West, man. And, uh, and yeah, you know, you come into places and where's the stage? And they point to this pile of, you know, uh, four by eight plywood laying there on the floor. And it's like, no, you know, and, and you grab the promoter and you put him up against the wall 
and you go, I'm going to kick the shit out of you unless you get me a stage here now. And they get a stage. And that's how we has, used to have to work in, in the industry. Yeah. And uh, catering, uh, the road crew was lucky if you got a bag of potato chips and a beer. Oh, you know, lucky. Yeah, that, that's funny. John did tell me, he goes, McDonald's was paradise back then. <laughs> if you could get, okay. you could, well, see, McDonald's I open late. That was a big deal. <laughs> I never allowed McDonald's as catering, but <laughs> the first time I was in Paris doing the show, yeah. uh, one shows up and it's McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, I went nuts on the promoter. It's, it's Paris, you shouldn't be McDonald's. It's in the rider, look at the rider. <laughs> you know, guys, it seems to me, and this says speaks a lot to John being the the humble person he is, uh, the gentle, quiet person he is, that when he grew with Kiss through the 70s, this could have really gone to his head. If he was the a different person, that celebrity status that he was getting could have really gone to his head and had him thinking I'm as big as the rock stars are. And, and, you know, it, my attitude is always everybody who works around the rock stars, you can never think you're bigger than the rock stars. They're the rock stars. You, you're the one who's there to make them bigger. And again, John PM magazine, people magazine, you know, famous photos, that could have easily gone to his head and, you know, kind of corrupted him into becoming a different person. So it says a lot about who he was, that he stayed true. You know, one of the things that I noticed, and it's very subtle, but it's funny, Rick, because I, I obviously you were there and I've seen many pictures of you like that. But you guys did look like a gang, you know, the studded wrist, you know, wrist belts and, you know, black well, vests. You know, and Yeah, black ex exactly. But here's the point. Here's the subtle change. I, I believe from 77 on, whenever you saw a picture of John, he was wearing a suit coat. Let, let me explain that to you. When I first went to work for them, I think it might have been the first show I did with them. Gene came over to me and gave me the dog, his dog collar. And he said, put this on. I said, why? He goes, I want you to fit in with us. I want you to look like you're with us. Okay. And then he gave me some wristbands, the spiky ones, which actually worked very well with security. Sometimes <laughs> when people would come on stage and you go to, you know, just push them back in the audience, you want to push them gently. Well, there were times when people would grab your wrist and they have the leverage. You know, you're squatting down on stage and they're down below and their full weight is pulling you down. And they could pull you down, and people would do that sometimes. But when I was wearing those spiky wrist things, nobody would grab them. So Gene was the one who said to me, here, and you know something? That dog collar, probably worth $100,000 now, <laughs> in wife's garage somewhere. One of you guys could go look for it if you want. I'm not <laughs> But um, it's, uh, it, it was Gene who said to me, we want you to look this way. And then Tony gave me my rhinestone kiss shirt with the sleeves cut off. And, and then John came and we were supposed to be in black and we were supposed to wear spikes and do all this stuff. And I think what happened 
is exactly what we're kind of talking about here. I think when we all got fired, O'Coin said, John, I want you to dress in street clothes. I don't want you to look like one of the band members or anything. And that's when that changed. And I noticed that we, John never, never talked about that, but I did notice after I was gone, John was just in regular clothes. And before that, we were always in black and I was always in leather and I was wearing a dog collar. And, and you guys always had kiss shirts on either the concert John shirt. Was some kind of kiss shirt on it. I, you know, if it was cold, I'd have a leather jacket on all the time, black leather, and I'd have a little kiss lips thing on the collar or something. And, uh, so, yeah, that's what that was all about with the uh, the jewelry. And that's why I think that went away, because I think O'Coin saw it and said, they're taking, you're stealing thunder from the van. Yeah. Yeah. Let me either of you guys about that. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to jump in. John had told me, and Robert, I believe he's probably told you too. John had told me there was a point where they wanted him to look more businesslike, more, more, uh, you know, more gentlemanly, more uh, professional, more representative of the of management in a certain way, rather than be the guy in the black shirt the the t-shirt and the black vest uh and stuff and i believe that's when he got his hair cut too because like rick had said rick, rick is entirely right it was it was brought to him like hey we'd like for you to smarten up your look and and if i remember him correctly i even think he got a budget to go out and buy some sport coats and collared shirts and get a haircut and all that kind of stuff because that's that would that was the image that they wanted him to project at, at, from that point forward could could you imagine a six-year-old going to a dynasty show and seeing john the way he was originally dressed <laughs> yeah, yeah. you'd be like it's the hell's angels exactly right. exactly Absolutely. yeah yeah <laughs> i'd be insane but um uh you know i gotta tell you you know sometimes you know, i believe in destiny and and you know it's so sad that john left us so soon so early this year but you know talking to him these last few months has just been um you know it's been such an honor and and to be able to communicate with you know basically not quite the original original crew but still someone that was an integral part of 70s kiss and to be able to work with him so so closely and you know learn a lot of the background stuff and about the music business too as a whole um it's just been you know, the fantastic experience. Well, Robert, why don't you talk a little bit about, because I know um, fans are already asking questions. What, what does John's passing mean to the future of his book? And, you know, he's been working on that for, geez, Steve, how many years has it been now? Four or five years? Yeah, through the ups and downs. You know, he, he started by basically just doing interviews with people in the KISS world and people outside of the KISS world. What were their memories of being around John, working with John? And I know, because I was working with, with, with you, Steve, to, mm-hmm. to, to help promote that, he did hundreds of interviews. I mean, it, they're done. They're in the can. And, you know, and not to beat a dead horse, but Pledge Music, which is what he was using to to fund this went bankrupt and 
took all the money that he had raised. He didn't get any of the money out of that. And Robert, you stepped in, you've got lots of experience in the publishing world and, and you're going to um, publish his book. Where does it stand right now? Okay. So uh, try to make this as, uh, you know, as concise as possible. So when the whole pledge music thing went uh, bust, you know, I had, uh, if you recall, I reached out to, to you guys, you know, I reached out and said, hey, listen, what's happening with John's book? Because it needs to be out there. You know, the, you know, despite this pledge music nonsense, this this needs to happen. And, um, you know, through you, I got connected to Steve and we all had a you know nice conversation to see if we could move this forward. And then we got John on the line and, you know, um, I believe I sent you guys a package or sent you materials to review. And, you know, for those who don't know, you know, I published Barry Levine's first book and Chip Rock's book. And, you know, I have a lot of different experience on KISS merchandise and products. And, uh, you know, you guys liked what I, uh, you know, sent over. So he just had two caveats for me. He said, listen, there's two things. He goes, if, you know, if we're going to do this, it has to happen. And I said, absolutely, it's going to happen no matter what. And he goes, okay. And number two, we are not to sell copy one until the book is done, ready to go to the printer. And I said, you got it. <laughs> you know? So there's because, not going to be nine years of updates? Uh, no, there's not. No, no. <laughs> and not, no nine years of updates. No, you know, as, as Steve knows, you know, I, I, I like to get everything together. There's nothing about putting a little tease out there once in a while. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, because John entrusted me with his story, you know, I, I take it, um, I have, you know, a, a deep personal goal to make sure this happens the best way it possibly can. Now, as you guys know, through the Pledge Music version, you know, the, the Pledge Music attempt to do the book through Pledge Music, um, there were a lot of interviews secured by not just John, but, you know, associates and things like that. The, you know, that's going to be a part of the book. John's memoir, the stories that he told, you know, and unfortunately, we didn't get to get them all before he passed. But what we do have, we have at least 20 hours worth of video footage between he and I going back and forth and stuff. And, you know, that stuff's in the middle of being transcribed as we speak. And then, you know. There's, um, uh, you know, then we got we go through the the research and fact checking process, and then once that's done, the manuscript will be completed and shown to the family to make sure they're uh, they're happy with it, and then we're gonna go, we're gonna go. So when we make the announcement, the book is happening. That will be the day the book is approved, ready to go to the printer. There's not going to be, you know, months of having to wait. And, and we're actually going to print this book in the United States. So once it's once it's uh, ready to go, it'll be printed in a matter of two to three weeks tops as opposed to two or three months, um, as experienced with other printers I've worked with over the years. Um, so basically, it's going to be kind of a hybrid of what we had originally intended, because I wanted John to tell his story in the first person. You know, so, you know, all the words coming out of his mouth and he really wanted that too. But it'll be a portion of that. It'll be a portion of his friends and colleagues that want to contribute something. Fans have already offered to contribute things. And, um, you know, one thing, there's two things that John 
wanted me to communicate. You know, my very last conversation with John was on January 19th. We spoke twice that day. So the first conversation was that, you know, he wanted to tell me that his health had taken a turn for the worse and he didn't know what was going to happen. But he wanted me, he was losing confidence that a book about a rock and roll bodyguard, you know, could sell. And I said, John, listen to me. I said, you don't understand your iconic status. You, I mean, if meeting thousands of fans at Kiss conventions and stuff doesn't convince you, I said, please think about something else. I said, you're not the first rock and roll bodyguard to ever write a book. There's been previous books. I said, think about Andre Augustine's Guardian of the Gods. I said, yep. you, know, you know, that book did well. Andre did well with that book. Um, you have a unique story because you have a, you, you lived a certain piece of rock and roll history through the evolution of, you know, if you take stories like Almost Famous, Cameron Crowe and other stories like that, you don't have to be the rock star to tell a rock and roll story. Right. You know, so I want you to, I want you to know that. I have and to say something here. I have to interject. I'm sorry. Yeah, please. I, I hear this. I hear this often about Cameron Crowe and Almost Famous and everything. Cameron Crowe was on tour with whoever and got to be with the band and hang out, but he wasn't part of the inner circle. Right. The inner circle of the people who have to be there, who will be paid to be there. <laughs> Anybody else, someone from management comes out on the road, they're an outsider. That's right. That's right. Someone from the record company comes, they're totally an outsider. Yes. The record company girls famously shit on the bus, and uh, you can't get rid of the smell for weeks. Uh, it's happened a couple of times. Got to the point where a record company girl would come on a tour bus, and I would say, if you want to use the bathroom, it's number one only before they even got on the bus. But uh, there is an inner circle that Cameron Crowe was never in there. Yeah. He was as close as you can get, but he was not necessary to be there. He wasn't part of that crew. So it's a whole different thing. And it's a, we've, I've traveled, I mean, Barry Levine, traveled with us to Europe, the first tour, and he was as close to being inside as anybody. And he kind of was, because I guess he was getting paid to shoot the tour. Barry and I became really good friends. Um, but uh, there, it's, there's a very definite line of who's inside and who's outside. And I, I've, I've come to realize that it's the people who have to be there, who have no choice. You have to be there to do this show. Anybody right. else is extraneous. Well, the, 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 only, the only people basically more inside would be the band. That's it. Yeah. I mean, people like, you know, you or John or Bill or, or Sean Delaney were as close as you could get to being the band. That was it. Yeah, but we didn't consider ourselves stars. Or oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying you did. But I, in the terms of that inner circle that you're talking wow. about, the only thing more close to that inner circle would be the band members themselves. I mean, that there, 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 there wouldn't be anybody else between John and Peter. I mean, it's just John and Peter. It's John and Ace. But there was also there was zero. 
and there was Mick, and there was, you know, uh, Hot Sam doing sound, sure. and, and Rick Monroe doing lights, you know, all the guys that were in that core group, we had to be there to do that show. Yep. And everybody else was outside. And it's, it, I'll tell you, the movie Almost Famous, uh, it almost bothers me <laughs> because uh, this comes up all the time. Well, Kevin Crow, he was right inside. He was not. And it's a different view. Would you agree Danny Sugarman was part of the doors, in, inside the doors when he did his book, No One Gets Out Here Alive? I don't know. I don't know enough about it to gotcha. You. Okay. All right. Good answer. So, but, I, but I think to the point here is <laughs> yeah. John was on the inside. Oh, absolutely. That's, right. that's the story yeah. that you, you oh, think absolutely. almost Cameron Crowe and Almost Famous is great. John was even more embedded with an incredible band at the height of their career, the explosion of their career. That's a story that needs to be told. Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, when, when like I said before, when John said, you know, there were nights where McDonald's was like filet mignon. I mean, you know, when, when have you been backstage at a Kiss concert where, you know, you saw McDonald's? I mean, when I was backstage during the reunion tour, there were, you know, trays and trays of, you know, catered Filet food. mignon. Right. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Tommy and I know. <laughs> Who wants organic chicken? You know, <laughs> yep. you know the band is paying for all that stuff. You know that's how it works. <laughs> right. yep. you, you order it, the promoter gets it. But usually, what happens? It's a ninety ten split or an eighty five fifteen. Promoter shows you his expenses at uh, at the end of the show or during the show, and ticket sales. And then you take and one of the expenses is catering and security and labor and stagehands and all that stuff and you take all that and you deduct it if it's a 90 10 split what's left the band gets 90 percent the promoter gets 10 it's an 85 15 yep that way quick quick uh, uh settlement lesson there for the uh, music industry or entertainment industry in general but um yeah it's uh John was absolutely inside and uh, it, it almost the band and us it was like we were the adults and they were the kids and I always would try and establish that with every band I worked for. I would go and tour manage a band and I would make them think they're working for me because that was the only way I could really keep them under control because here you are, you run around with a bunch of millionaires who have all the success and all these fans and you're put in charge and you're getting a salary, a decent salary to, to do things. But in order for you to really keep it together, you need to make them think they're working for you and that you're the boss, you're in charge, you're the adult in charge. And John and I were the adults in charge with this. Yeah. Hey, if you guys don't mind, let me go back to the pledge music thing for one second. Sure. Um, that was one thing that, you know, when the whole pledge thing came down, as Michael, as you know, we hit our goals. We did everything. We did incredible uh, with with Michael's uh, guidance and help. Of course, we did incredible promos that even the pledge people would say, "Wow, that's great!" You know, this is great. Um, so, you know, John, when when things went bad with them, it happened very quickly. Like it, like Michael had said, we hit our goals. We knew that there was a pile of money there that we would be able to uh, go out and make the book and, and deliver what we promised. And that was John's thing. He was mortified that not that we did it because like Michael had said, honestly said, 
we did not we did not receive any money. And for the fans, the people out there that paid for the book, that was one of John's biggest, you know, whatever whatever. It was painful to John. It was Mm -hmm. painful to John. Yes, that 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 these people spent their hard-earned money. Okay, and now there's nothing to come of it. We didn't have the budget to go out and and you know do that because they'd already paid and we never saw that money and that was one of his biggest things but the point i'm getting to now is is that a testimonial of how much the fans love john and i know mike you can uh you can cooperate with me on this is that there was i can only think of maybe a small handful four five six um, people that were disgruntled about that because everybody had a feeling that John was his integrity and how honest he was. And when we did the, you know, when we announced that it happened and, you know, we were going to work on, uh, you know, finding a publisher, you know, this before Robert was involved and, and, you know, do it again, because we certainly couldn't ask people to give us money again for a book that for an idea of a book. So that was one of John's biggest biggest things that uh and and to his credit to his character and how much the fans loved him i can only think of honestly three or four um parties that were that disgruntled and i actually wrote them and i explained it to them and a couple of guys i sent t-shirts i did what i needed to do and you know um and and i think that's a credit to john because you know we know like in other things a band Somebody replaces an iconic band member. They're trashing on that person all the time. Somebody this, somebody that. And, and I, you know, it wasn't, I don't think it was luck. I think it was just a testament to how, how endeared the fans were to him that nobody, like, you know, cried foul. Nobody cried like, oh, Jesus, this guy just pocketing my money and decided not to do a book. Right, right. So that's the point I wanted to make. You know, yeah, yeah. So that was not John's nature at all. I mean, John would not, John was a, a very uh, honest and uh, straight up person. So, yeah, that and really rubbed him the wrong way. I know that. Absolutely. And, and he even told me, he said, if he had, you know, if he had been paid that money, he would have refunded it right away. If, it, sure. if you know, so it, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's it's a shame that happened, but we're going to move forward and, and give John the the uh, tribute he deserves. By so so from the sounds book. of it, Robert, you you don't have and you're not going to give any sort of a release date or timeline here. But what we can take away from this is the book is happening. The book is going to be finished. It's going to be written. It's going to be edited. It it will come out, and when it's announced that's when it's going to be available. Exactly. Exactly. I'm old school publishing that way. (laughs) And I I think what what I would just add to that is the bulk of the book is the material, the stories has been gathered over the last few years. So it's not like the book hadn't been started. Correct. So it, it, it now is on Robert to take all of these interviews with, with John and everybody else that was around him and transcribe and write it and edit it and put it into, like you said, a memoir of big John Hart. Absolutely. And, you know, so as far as raw material goes, meaning, you know, information, it's all there. 
It's just a matter of going through the tapes, going through the interviews, transcribing everything, pulling out the best of the best of it. Because, you know, as you know, it, when you organically interview people, a lot of the stories are retold, not intentionally. You just, you know, you could repeat the L.A. Forum story five times without realizing you're doing it. But it happens. So you have to go through, you pull out what's, you know, the meat and then you fact check. And then uh, after that, it goes to, you know, a copy editor and then an editor. And then uh, the photos are selected, we put together and we have some really cool things in the works, but we'll have a, we'll, we're going to make an announcement when the time is right. And the, the time will be right when the book is ready to go to the printer. That, that's, that's it. I, I, and I guess what I would say is just follow John's Facebook page, the big John Hart Facebook page. Yes. When whenever something is ready to be announced, it'll be announced there. Um, and and I do know for a fact, the interviews consist of everybody you could almost imagine, crew members, business associates, and other musicians, musicians in Kiss and musicians outside of Kiss. I mean, John talked to a lot of people. Yes, and um, you know. And, you know, while it's sad to say this, we we it's also very cool that we have interviews from people that have also since passed that contributed to the book, you know, J.R. Smalling being an example. So there's you know, it's going to be for me, it's been a tearjerker already. I'll put it to you that way. It's just, um, you know, John and I, you know, became close you know, I mean, you're talking to a guy a couple hours at least a week for, you know, you know, for a couple of years. And you talk about not just, you know, your material for your book, you're talking about family, you're talking about things going on in your lives. And, you know, to to lose that so suddenly has been, you know, I'm still absorbing it. I'm still absorbing it. Um, but there was one more thing that John, when I talked to John on January 19th, he wanted me that if things didn't work out uh, for him, he wanted me to convey something to the fans, which I'm going to do now. Um, he wanted the world to know that he was so grateful for the time that you guys, the, all the KISS fans devoted you know, to him that went out of their way to meet him, to ask for signatures and for photographs. He said that was definitely, you know, the highlight of his later years that so many people would even think to care enough about him to go out of their way to get stuff signed and, and spend time with him and want to hear the old stories. And, you know, he was definitely not a egotistical person at all. OK, so yeah, no, not at all. No, no ego there. Yeah. And he also wanted me to let you know he wanted to tell you guys himself, but he definitely wanted me to tell you that um, his last interview outside the book, um, he did an official kiss interview for a project coming out in the fall. It's not my place to reveal the project, but he wanted you guys to know the fans that his final interview outside the book was done at the end of the year and uh, should be out in an official kiss project this fall, you know, and um, he actually called me to say, Hey, Robert, you cool. If I do this, I said, of course I'm cool with it. Why wouldn't I be cool with it? Come on. <laughs> 
I said, anything you do, you do it, man. You know? So um, he was like, okay, that's cool. Thank you. And um, he said it went well, and it's going to hopefully be out this fall. And I'm very excited for that as well. So he just wanted you guys. That was basically his, uh, his final wishes. And I conveyed that to you guys. So thank you. Wow. Thank you. That was, that was touching. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think we should, we should wrap it here. Let's, yeah. let's wrap it on John's final thoughts, his final words. Um, I would just add once more, um, you know, if you can do something, go check out GoFundMe, help out John's family. Um, family meant a lot to John. It, it was very important to him. So um, Rick, Robert, Steve, uh, you know, thank you. Thank you. Mike, I just want to thank you. Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rick, please. Well, just, you know, what can you do? It's, uh, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm four years older than John. Uh, we're all hitting that age. We're all going to be, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are going. A lot of people I know, a lot of people in the industry, people I've known for 16 years. And uh, death is a part of life. John and I talked about that. I think he was uh, pretty comfortable in his own skin and what was going on and knew, you know, it's inevitable. So death is a part of life, just like birth is. And um, I think John was prepared and um, his energy and he lives on in our hearts. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, I just want to, I just want to add to, you know, you guys from uh, the podcast here, uh, Michael, uh, Tommy, Mark, uh, Michael, I mean, you know, it's been such a pleasure working with you through the years on this. And I know how grateful John was for everything, you know, you guys, uh, did you guys were literally our first champions, uh, or first, you know, stepping up to the plate. Yeah. Whatever you need champions, you know, when we started this whole adventure and I know how grateful I, m me as his business partner, of course I am but I knew how grateful John was and uh, you know, that was never lost. And uh, you know, and um, I, I just want to, I want to thank you guys. I want to thank the fans out there for sticking by his side, realizing when the pledge music thing went bust, that John was a victim of it, just the way the people that spent money on it were. And um, I, we're just hoping that uh, you know, that um this is going, you know, this will be the exclamation point somewhat on his legacy when this comes out. And I think everybody's going to be real pleased with the product that, uh, that, that Robert, uh, Robert delivers. Yeah. Great. Well, once again, guys, thank you. I mean, thank you. You know, so much. sharing these memories. Right, guys. Yes. Thank really you. Amazing. Um, so, thank you. That, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Love you all. Thank you. Good night. Uh, that, I don't know how, how we could have ended that trip down memory lane any better than what Robert did with sharing those final it was perfect. thoughts from John. I mean, I was just like, oh my God, you know, I'm, do I just start wiping tears away here? I mean, it was touching. I mean, they, you know, I, I will say 
um, Robert and Steve reached out to me um, the day John passed away on the 11th because I helped them put together the press release and get it out. And they said, we'd love to come on three sides to share memories. And I'm like, well, next episode, we don't have anybody lined up. You guys are welcome to come on. And um, they gave no indications. <laughs> Robert gave no indications that he was like, I'm going to share John's last words. That was like a complete shocking bomb basically i was just like oh wow it's very surreal it was it was but you know that was that was great i mean having rick join us because rick stewart who's been on a few past episodes with us you know he hired john he got john involved in being a bodyguard and everything else and with kiss um it, it was just great to kind of get an insight from those three guys who've between them, they've all worked with John for years, who John was as a person, because I think you guys would agree what you see in the pictures is not who John was as a person. He was intimidating as he should be when he was around kiss, he was supposed to be that big guy that was going to, stop you from doing anything before it happened but if you know john he was gentle he was quiet he was thankful he was easygoing big old uh, smile yep 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 didn't want to hurt anybody didn't want to offend anybody yeah so i i, I don't know i mean i guess i would just say you know homework for this week what are your memories of big john hart whether you ever met whatever whether you met him or haven't met him what are your memories of big john hart when was the first time as a fan you remember seeing john in a photo or when you first encountered john share your memories add to this episode of you know remembering big john hart and share pictures too. If you have pictures with him and, you know, share those pictures as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and please don't forget to go to the GoFundMe page. We'll have links in our show notes. We're going to have um, links all over um, our socials. You'll see everybody is already sharing it out there. I mean, I saw Roman has already shared it and he shared it to the bill of coin page and everything else. If you can help, john's family it would mean so much to them um on that note i think we should just wrap it up and uh you know tip our hats to john for keeping the band safe all those years keeping that keeping the the, the identity of our superheroes hidden thank you um absolutely and, and we'll see everybody next week. So you love the show. Go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks.